You're listening to the English Ministry Podcast of Chinese Christian Church Thousand Oaks. Join us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Find out more at english.cccto.org. Okay, so what were some of your answers? What were some things that you would want Jesus to teach you? Anybody say calculus? <laughs> no, no, okay. What were some things that you want Jesus to teach you? Patience, how to do miracles. Anything else? To be like him. Excellent. Anything else? Obedience. One more. What would you like Jesus to teach you? To be content. Those are all really good things. And as we look into the Bible, we see that there is only one time that Jesus' disciples asked him to teach him something. And can you imagine that, that if you were to walk with Jesus for three plus years, you would ask him a lot of questions. And don't you think that there would be many times that the disciples would say, Jesus, I want you to teach us this, like miracles. Lord, teach me how to do miracles. Or maybe, you know, like you were wanting to know, like, Jesus, wow, would you teach me how to speak like you? Would you teach me how to preach like you? Would you teach me how to, to be a teacher with so much enthusiasm and truth like you? Or maybe, you know, for those of us who are maybe thinking more of this, where we say, Jesus, would you teach me how to be successful? Would you teach me that? But indeed, there was only one thing that the Bible tells us that the disciples asked that Jesus would teach them. And the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 1 what it is. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us how to pray. I want you to imagine that you are one of the disciples on that day. You have seen Jesus pray. You have seen what it's done in his life. You have seen how he goes off and he spends the night alone to pray. And there is something about that relationship that he has with God that is so powerful that you yourself want to learn. And to a Jew in that day, they would want to know at least two things. One, they would want to know the words that they should say. So literally, they would want to know, Lord Jesus, is there a formula? Is there specific words that you want me to say? And also, Lord, what is the attitude in which I should have, in which I should pray? Well, Jesus gave them an answer which satisfied both of those desires. And that was the Lord's prayer that we know today. And there are millions and millions of people around the world who know this prayer by heart, millions who say it every day, and probably millions of people who don't even know Jesus who say it. Because it's not just the words that we say that bring the meaning. It's understanding the person who taught us the prayer that makes it meaningful. And so today we want to look at the Lord's Prayer. We're going to look at it over three different sermons. So we're going to look at the first portion today, second portion in two weeks, and the last portion three weeks from now. But let's say it together. Would you stand with me in honor of God and His Word? And let's read together Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 10. In this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. 
Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Please be seated. One of the things that I want us to see right away is in verses 1 through 3, which are the verses that we're going to look at today, those are the verses that all have the word your in it. Hallowed be your name. And then in verse 2, your, verse 10, your kingdom. And then your will. And in two weeks, we're going to look at the us verses. And that's give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. And do not lead us into temptation. And so we see this prayer is divided into two types of relationships. It is the relationship that we have with our Heavenly Father, your Father, which is what Jesus is saying. He is your Father. But also Jesus wants us as we pray to be attentive to the reality that He is our Father together. It is a corporate relationship that we have with God, but it's all about relationship. God wants us to pray, but the very first thing he wants us to know is who we are praying to. He wants us to know the one to whom we speak to. And so the very first thing that we learn about the Lord's Prayer, about how we are to pray, is that we must focus our attention on our Father in heaven. We are focused then, indeed, on our relationship with Him. And again, all of the pronouns in this prayer are plural. And they are about our relationship with God. They are about our shared blessings in a community. And He is our Father. He's not just my Father. And amazingly, He's not just Jesus' Father. But He is our Father. And Jesus is speaking to all believers. And we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when we said that Jesus' Father is not the heavenly Father of all people on earth. He is the Creator Father of all people on earth. But when we read Heavenly Father in the Bible, that is a word referring to a relationship specific to people who have a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And so Heavenly Father is a word that is reserved for those who are saved, who are in the family of God. And that's whom Jesus is speaking to here today. He is speaking to those of us who are believers, but He is also inviting in this prayer all people to be believers. He is inviting us to be able to address God as our Father. And when we go through the New Testament, we are constantly looking at the way that God wants us to see life through Jesus' eyes. So just about everybody on earth prays. Just about everybody on earth prays. They may pray to Allah, they may pray to Buddha, they may pray to God. But the one that we pray to is Jesus. And we know God because Jesus came to earth. And the Bible tells us, as we talked about last week, that our theme for this year in the English ministry is our theme this year is to have our eyes fixed on Jesus. We are constantly looking at Jesus for the way in which we ought to live. 
And so as we pray, we are also looking at Jesus to see how he prays. He literally is telling us, I want you to begin your prayers with our Father. He wants us to pray in the same way that he prayed. All of Jesus' prayers in the New Testament, all of them, except for one, he refers to God as his Father. The one prayer where he doesn't refer to God as his Father is one of the prayers that he said while he was on the cross. And that's when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the only time in prayer that we have of Jesus in the New Testament where he doesn't refer directly to God as his Father, but rather as his Lord, as his God. But we see here in John 17, and this is the prayer, the longest prayer in the Bible we have of Jesus is the whole book, the whole chapter of John chapter 17. And it's often called the high priestly prayer or Jesus' prayer. And in this, Jesus begins his prayer by saying, Father, the time has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. This is the prayer Jesus prayed just before he was arrested. And he began that prayer and he teaches us about church unity. He teaches us about the hope that we have for heaven. He teaches us about our union with him. And he teaches us about all that we can have as a relationship in Jesus in John chapter 17. And Jesus begins that. And throughout that prayer, he talks about God as his father. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. This is Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows that the cross is coming. And he's ready to accept the cross. But he turns to his Father. And he says, Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then when Jesus was on the cross, his first words were a prayer. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then his second to last words on the cross was also a prayer. And he said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And so as we focus our eyes on Jesus, as we focus our prayers this coming year, we are to get our eyes on our Father even as Jesus had his eyes on his Father. And he wants us to know that we have this relationship with our Father. We have a relationship that is close. We have a relationship of something that we dearly need and someone that we dearly love. And so Paul tells us that in, Ro in Romans chapter 8, he says, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you receive the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. And that word Abba is the Aramaic word for Dada, for Daddy. And, and I don't know if it's absolutely true, but I've just read that it is true. Um, that for babies, the first word that they will say is Dada. And they will say Dada before they say Mama. Now, that, I, Mom, I don't mean to insult you, um, but that's what I've read, and researchers have actually checked on that, so you can check that up later if you want. Uh, but I had an experience with my firstborn son, Gabriel, and he was just a baby, 
And of course, we adored him. And, you know, when you're a brand new parent, you just look at your child, and the strangest thing, you can just stare at them for hours. And they just move, and they just, you know, they just, they're dreaming, and they're, they're just moving around, and you just stare for hours. And one day, I was doing that, and I was staring, and I kid you not, true story, Gabriel was moving around, just a baby, just a couple months old, a few months old, and he's rolling around, and he says, and he's asleep, and he goes, Dada. I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. And I, and I was like, Carol, 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 he said my name. He said my name. And he said it before he said yours. <laughs> it's so exciting. Well, God wants us to know that he's excited for us to call him Abba. The Aramaic name, the name Jesus would have called Joseph as a little boy. Abba, Abba. And we can come to the Abba. We can come to our Father. And this is the unique challenge and the unique invitation of Christianity is to draw near to God, not as a fearful being, but as our Heavenly Father. J.I. Packer, in his, in his wonderful book, Knowing God, says this, for everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. And so as we look at our Father, and as I said, when we call him our Heavenly Father, that is the unique name reserved for believers who know Jesus and know that their true Father is in heaven. And when Jesus tells us to consider the heaven, the place of our Heavenly Father's abode, he is talking about a place, of a place where the Father lives, a place where you and I long to go to, a place that has streets of gold, a place where the heavens dwell, where our Father dwells on his throne. But more than that, Jesus is talking about God's authority. He's talking about God's authority in the heavens. In Psalm 123, verse 1, I lift up my eyes to you, for to you whose throne is in heaven. And in Psalm 115, verse 3, our God is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases our Father is in heaven, and he does whatever he pleases. He decides what to say to our prayers. We can ask him anything we want, but he is on his throne. We fixed our eyes on him. We fixed our heart on him. But when we pray, we are determined to let him decide what is best and what is right. And so Jesus tells us that now that we have our eyes on our Father in heaven, we have to have the goals that our Father has. We have to come to Him the way that our Father wants. And the way that our Father wants Him to come is to hollow His name. Hallowed be your name, Jesus says. This is the first request. There are six requests. Remember, there's, there's three with the yours, your, your name, your name and your kingdom, those are the yours and then the ours that we'll look at in two weeks, our bread, our debts. 
But here we are learning about hallowing God's name. And this is the first request. And what Jesus is saying is, God, hallow your name. So when we pray it, we're saying, God, I want you to do this for yourself. I want you to lift up your name because it is so great. We are to respect the name of God. Um, my dad and, and I have a, an, had an up and down relationship. But as a kid, it was, it was pretty up. And I remember, like, I would always want to ask my dad for things. Like, Dad, can we go bowling? Or, or Dad, can we go to the movie? Or, or, Dad, can we go out and have ice cream? But one thing I knew, if I really wanted something special from Dad, I had to have a good relationship with him, first and foremost. You know, like, if we had a bad day, it wasn't a good day to ask Dad for anything. But the other thing I knew is that I always had to respect him. Respect. And um, one thing I always remember in Greek... As I wasn't a great Greek student, um, but, but I always remember the word for respect in Greek is Timaeo, Timaeo. And my dad's name is Tim. And so I could always remember that. It was really easy. Timaeo, because when I learned it in Greek, I said, wow, that's my dad's name. He longed for respect. He demanded respect. And before I could ask him for anything, I had to have that respect. Jesus is saying the same thing. Before you even come to God to ask anything, we recognize who he is. He is holy. We must respect him above all. And we are to hollow his name. To hollow means to treat as holy, to set apart as holy, to honor with the highest respect. It is to set apart something that was to be used for the temple and worship and is to set apart God's name as something that is higher and greater than anything else that we could ever imagine. And again, we look at Jesus. We look at Jesus and at the way that he taught and the way that he spoke to his own father. In John chapter 17, we see Jesus speaking to his father and he says, Oh, righteous father, Although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me, and I have made your name known to them and will make it known, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. That God wants us to have this respect for a righteous, holy Father. In Psalm 19, verse 14, the Bible says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God wants us to turn to God in such a way that we are pleasing to him and that we show him the greatest respect. We recognize who he is, a holy, a hollowed, a set-apart God. We don't just run in barge in and say, God, give me this. God, I want that. But we recognize who he is, the Lord of lords and the King of kings. And we recognize that God has a kingdom that is greater than this world. And so the third thing that we want to recognize as we come to God in prayer that Jesus teaches us, is that the Father will manifest His presence to us. We want God to manifest His presence. We want God's answer, not our answer. 
When we show respect to God, we have this relationship with Him, it means that we are willing to submit to His answer. We are willing to submit to His rule. Kingdom is to be under the rule and the reign of God. God brings it to us. He brings it to us in Jesus. But He brings it to us in a way that is so powerful and so overwhelming that we need to submit to it so that we show our trust in this kingdom. That we are indeed God's subjects. Jesus brought the kingdom of God to us. Jesus brought the presence of heaven to earth. And the greatest moments that we can have on earth are when we enjoy this heavenly kingdom. The greatest moments that I had in my family would always be when I had a great time with my mom and my dad together. It was when there was this relationship and we were enjoying each other and we were sharing together. And this would be our little earthly kingdom would be my dad's home. And when we were in one accord, there was a great joy in that. And there was a presence when everybody was together. But we always knew the king of the house was my dad. We always knew he was the one who was in charge. And for believers, it's the same way. When we come to God and we want to enjoy his presence, when we bring our request to him and we want to have him do things, we do it together. We do it under the rule of our heavenly God. In Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21, these are Jesus' words. Can we say them together? The kingdom of God does not come with your careful observation. Nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is within you. God brings his kingdom, his great, eternal, unending kingdom, and he can put it within us. How can he do that? How can he do that? In Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Paul says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. God brings his kingdom into our lives through the Holy Spirit. Jesus also says that the kingdom of God is like a seed planted in your heart. It is a kingdom that is like a seed that can continue to grow and continue to do great things, but it must first be planted. And so God wants to plant his kingdom in your life and in my life. And when we pray, it is an exercise of that kingdom. It is a belief that we really do have God's presence in our life, that we would turn to him and say, God, you are my king. And I believe that you have kingdom power. And I believe that you rule. And I believe that you can change things. I believe that you have authority. I believe that you are sovereign. I believe that you are God. And I want to live in that rule. I want to live under your control. And so the kingdom of God is the power of Jesus within us to change our lives, to change us, to be the people that God wants us to be. And it is the power of God to bring blessings to you and to me. And it is the power of God through the Spirit to overcome evil in this world. That God wants us to know the power of turning away from sins that can control us so that we can bless the name of the Lord and bow to him as, as the Santelmo team sang to us. That God wants us to be in a relationship with him. 
that someone once said that the greatest kingdoms on earth are always ruled by a benevolent king. That the greatest kingdoms in history on earth have always been ruled by a benevolent king. And this is what we have in heaven. We have a benevolent king who cares about us. And when we bring our request to him, we bring our request because we believe and we trust and we know that he's in control, but that he's benevolent and that he's good and that he's loving and that he cares. And so we want that power and we want that presence in our life. And so that is the rule of God. We've seen that we've also had respect for God because we have a relationship that's based on Him. But now, when we bring our request to Him, we also have the right have to have the right reasons for why we come to God. We bring our reasons to God, and the reason is we want His will, not our will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Each of us has a will. And this is what sets us apart from animals. It allows us to have a relationship with God. We can choose to have a relationship with Him or choose not to. It is the choice that God has given to us. We have an ability to make a decision. It's a moral and ethical choice. It's a power. Maybe the greatest power that you and I have is the power of our will to decide what we're going to do. And God has given that to us. And so Jesus teaches us in this prayer that the third thing that we are to ask for is for God's will to be done. And God's will to be done on earth, as we've just seen, from the powers that be of heaven. That God's will, that which is done in heaven, the same thing would be done on earth. That God would do in our lives that which he would ordain from heaven itself. That which he would be pleased to do in heaven, Lord, would be pleased to do it on earth as well. Now we know that sometimes our will is not God's will. And, and sometimes we go, I don't know why I do it. Paul said it, you know, I want to do that which is right, but I don't know why. But I keep willing, I keep doing the things that I don't want to do. Why is that? Where did it come from? Where was the origin of this second will? The will that doesn't want to do what God wants to do. Well, we read about this in Isaiah chapter 14. And it's talking about the Babylonian king, but it's also talking about Satan. And the Babylonian king was a picture of Satan. And in this, in these verses 13 through 14, we see the word I will five times. And this is the secondary will. This is the selfish will. This is the sinful will. And this is the origin of sin. And there it says in Isaiah chapter 14, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly. On the utmost heights of the sacred mountain. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And so we see there five times that Satan says he's going to want to be like God. I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne. I will sit enthroned. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. And that's where this second will came from. And that is the will to do what we want. The will of selfish gain. And a lot of times the reason God doesn't give us what we want 
is because we have the wrong will. We don't will to do that which is right. But Jesus wants us to do that which is right. Jesus wants us to have the will of the Father just as he does. In John chapter 6, verse 40, Jesus says, For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. That God's good will is that everyone would be saved. That God's good will is that everyone would be lifted up from death to life. Again, we look back at Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Bible says he went away a second time and he prayed, My Father, it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it. May your will be done. And then in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, the Bible talks to you and to me about the kind of will that God has towards us. Does God have good will towards us? Let's see. In Romans 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to test and approve what God's will is. What is God's will? It is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God's will for our life is good. Whatever God wants for us is good. God has decided for things for us that is good. James Boyce, a commentator and, and pastor from a generation ago, says this, happiness and joy will come to your life only as you allow God to bend your will to his. To allow God to bend your will to his. A lot of times we say, you know, we'll pray, oh God, if it is your will, do this. Lord, I, I pray for this, but, but if it is your will, do this. And, and I think that though that indeed has a biblical sound to it, sometimes I think that maybe it is a lack of faith. It is not fully trusting in what God wants us. Because we see here in Romans, we see what Jesus has taught us. We see that God wants to bring down his presence from heaven, to bring his kingdom, to bring his rule, to bring his power into our lives. And so I believe that God would want us to pray boldly. I believe that God would want us to pray with true faith that says, God, I do want your will. Now, when I express my will, it's not to tell God what he has to give me. It's to tell God what I desire but that I will submit to his will. We want to have this faith that says, God, I want what you want. There are times in our lives where we don't know why God doesn't give us what we want, but one thing that we can always trust is that God doesn't give us what we ask for. He has another will in place for us. He is doing something that is good for us still. He is doing something that in answering our prayer or in not answering our prayer is always what is best for us. And he wants us to have faith and not to just say, well, if it's your will because we're afraid he won't answer it, but to say, God, I ask according to your will and this is what I want. And so I want you to think, what is it? What is it that you long for God to do in and through your life? What is it that you long for God to reveal to you? What is it that in your heart you would say, God, this is the prayer that I would bring to you. If I could have one prayer answered, God, today, this is it.
And then to come to God in faith. Because we have a Father who is powerful. We have a Father who is present. We have a Father who is able to do that which we ask for. And so we come and we could say, thinking of that prayer request, Father, I come and ask for this. That your name be glorified. Father, show your power. That people will know the answer is from you, the living God. Father, I do not pray this for myself or to have my will done, but that your will is fulfilled. Can you pray that prayer? Would you pray that prayer? To bring before God your request in faith that you have a good Father in heaven who loves you and who will do that which is best, who has the ability to answer our prayers. And who will do what is his will in heaven, even on earth, as we submit to that power. This is how we can pray. To pray with faith. To pray with hope. To pray knowing Jesus will hear and answer our prayers, even as our Father will. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to ask for this. And so what is this? What is this that you would ask the Lord for today? Bring it before him. Ask him for it. What is this one request today that you want? Come before your heavenly father and ask him. And then say, Lord, I ask for this, that your name be glorified. Father, show your power that people will know the answer is from you, the living God. Father, I do not pray this for myself or to have my will done, but that your will will be fulfilled, even as Jesus prayed, not my will, but yours be done. May your will be done, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.